Well, good morning. You guys sound alert. That's good. We're in uh, week three of this series, Go Fish. Uh, Pastor Chris has taken the last couple weeks to lead us into this series, and we're going to have another one uh, in this series after this. This, uh, this series uh, begins out of a section of Scripture in Matthew, is where we get the, uh, the title and the context for this Scripture, and it's at the top of your talk sheets. Uh, I think it's a green sheet in your bulletin. If you want to pull that out, uh, you can look at the Scripture with me. It says this from Matthew. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So that is where we get this idea of fishing as followers of Jesus, that this is part of our communal and individual calling to, to be uh, fisher persons of people. Well, this metaphor is a bit problematic uh, if we dive into it. it it's, it's a tough metaphor. All metaphors only go so far, right? No metaphor can, can, can fully explain anything. Uh, my cousin Jamie, he, he would have a good explanation of why this, this metaphor is problematic. When we were kids... Uh, he's just a few months younger than me, and, and he would come visit from time to time. And I grew up fishing uh, in southeastern Minnesota. We'd, we'd do a lot of trout fishing in the trout streams down there, and we'd always invite him to come fishing with us. But he had a moral opposition to fishing uh, because his response was, how would you like it if someone stuck a hook in a cheeseburger and gave it to you, and when you ate it, pulled it through your cheek? That was, his, that was his reasoning. I was like, I would not enjoy that. And uh, that, was his, that was his philosophy on, on the problem with fishing. And I think that this metaphor uh, is problematic if we look at it from this standpoint. It is troublesome to, uh, to draw an analogy between people and a slimy, scaly, cold-blooded animal that has the brain the size of a pea. And if we, if we look at fish, this, this call to be fisher persons from that standpoint of that we're supposed to trick and outsmart other people who are like fish, that's a bit insulting uh, and problematic. But I don't think that that was Jesus' intent with this metaphor was to liken uh, people to fish, but rather to liken what it is that his followers would do to what it is that fishermen do. And he was talking to commercial fishermen who use nets, who would cast them out to gather in fish and bring them to themselves. And I think that is the power and the leverage that Jesus was using in this metaphor, that we're fishermen. We're not talking about the object of what it is that we do, of, of who it is that we're going after, but what it is that he's called his followers to do is to fish, to gather in people. Uh, so that's, I just wanted to get that out of the way. Well, there's another problematic uh, part to this, not just the metaphor, but to this entire, uh, this entire series, and that Chris has done a great job of the last two weeks uh, talking about this idea of proclaiming our faith, and that's a lot of what we're talking about when we talk about fishing for people, is proclaiming our faith to people who, uh, who, who don't have the same perspective on faith that we do. The, the problematic nature of it is, is that even though we've spent the last two weeks talking about why we should do this, and Chris has dived into the scriptures unpacking this, I have a hunch 
Now, granted, it's just a hunch. I haven't had a lot of conversations with, with people in the last two weeks, but I have a hunch that Sunday afternoon we didn't all, and I'll say we, we didn't all run out and start, start proclaiming our faith unabashedly. And that Monday morning, after hearing these teaching for the first time, it opened up revelation that I should be doing this, and I've never even considered it before. I may be wrong, but it's a pretty good hunch. There is a problem about this teaching series that when we go into it, we, we run into this wall. We can talk about why we should share our faith, go to the scripture and unpack it, and it is abundantly clear that the followers of Jesus are called and have a responsibility and an opportunity and the ability to share the good news that we find in Jesus with people who haven't encountered it, but it's tough to go beyond that place. It's tough to move from the knowing why to, to, to actually having it come to pass in our life. There's an apprehension that we have about it. We, we have our uncertainties about it. We have this hesitation. Let's be honest, it's a fear. We have this fear that manifests itself in a, in a number of ways about sharing our faith. There's a fear of rejection, that people will flat out reject us. Not just our message, but potentially us as a person, that they'll reject us. That there is humiliation, because let's face it, the idea that someone rose from the dead is a, is a bit crazy. And there's, there's potential to be humiliated around it. A loss of friends, a loss of respect, awkwardness that happens in those conversations, social marginalization when you go into these conversations. And, you know, there's this fear that people will stop telling you the funny jokes and recommending the good movies and the good music if you put yourself in this camp. Right? There, that's a fear. So there are fears. If it weren't for the fears, we wouldn't have a lot of reasons not to share our faith, not to proclaim what it is that we believe with people. So that's what we're going to do this week, is talk about the fear. Dive into it and unpack it. And before we go any further, let me say this. I don't have a silver bullet this morning. Uh, You will not leave with anything that will kill your fear instantly. Uh, My hope this morning is to go into some scripture, unpack it. Hopefully that will help us... uh, engage the fear a little bit more. I, I want to give us a better understanding of the scriptures that way. I hope that we can better understand our fears this morning, that we can look at those fears, acknowledge them for what they are, and then with knowing that, be able to deal with them. And hopefully we'll have some practical tools that we can use as we go forward with this. So that's what I hope to do this morning as we, we dive into this. Will you pray with me uh, again, and we'll, we'll ask God, to, uh, to remind us of his presence during this time. Lord, you are present. With each one of us, you're present. Help us to be aware of that this morning. Help us to be, uh, to be keen on your words and your spirit as you speak to us and as you speak uh, to, to very sensitive and delicate areas in our lives and in our person. Lord, we pray that you would, um, you would open our hearts this morning. In your name, amen. Well, if you've got a Bible and you want to open it up, we're going to 2 Corinthians is where we're going to begin. Uh, chapter 11 
is where I want to go. This is uh, one of Paul's letters to, uh, to the church at Corinth. And before we dive into it, I want to get a, give it a little bit of a preface. Uh, sarcasm is not new to the 20th, 20th or 21st century. Uh, sarcasm is an ancient, ancient art. And it, uh, it finds itself in the scriptures. And Paul is going to participate in this art. Uh, Paul is, is, and I need to tell you this because you read it, 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 it becomes pretty evident if you're looking for it. But I need to, to say this on the front, front end that Paul is being very sarcastic as we dive in here. And you'll be able to see where he's, he's being sarcastic and where he's making a point. And he uses it brilliantly to, uh, to drive home a point as we're, uh, as we're diving into this. But, but Paul is writing because the Corinthians have looked to some people for leadership uh, who've, who've been abusive in their leadership of the Corinthians. So Paul is responding to this problem within the church, that they have looked to people to provide leadership who've, who've abused that leadership and abused the Corinthians as a result. And hang with me because it won't make immediate sense of where this scripture is going in light of the conversation we're having about the fear uh, we have in our faith. But when we get to the end of this section, it's a, it's a fairly uh, hefty chunk we're going to dive into. I think you'll start to see where I'm going with it, and, and that'll be great if you do that. So first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16 is where I'm starting. 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. So he's even saying, I'm going to be sarcastic here. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with any who enslave you or exploit you or take advantage of you or push themselves forward or slap you in your face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, and three times I was shipwrecked. I would not go sailing with Paul. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, and in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not burn inwardly? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show 
my weakness. Paul is reminding, we're going to pick up here in just a second, but I want to pause. Paul is reminding these believers that even the man who planted them, even the man who brought many of them to faith is still one of them. That we all have weaknesses. Paul endured incredible things. This, is, uh, this scripture right here is very problematic for prosperity gospel ideas. <laughs> but, but Paul endured incredible things with incredible faith, but even in the midst of all that, he says, if anybody burns with sin, I burn with sin as well. If anybody has any weakness, I have as much weakness as they do. Paul is pointing out that all of us burn with sin. All of us have weaknesses. I want to skip ahead into chapter 12, verse 6 is where I want to pick up. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would not be speaking truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul is getting to here, uh, for our purposes is that our fear doesn't have to have the final word. When it comes to our faith and the way that we share it and how we share it, and even sharing it itself, that our fear about sharing it doesn't have the final word. In fact, according to Paul, our fear could be the greatest strength that we have in sharing our faith. If we allow Jesus to leverage it, it can be where his strength comes through us. What we're going to look at uh, this morning, I think, are three of the primary areas of fear that we have, uh, if we categorize them out, that there are three different areas where we have uh, fear. What, what is the faith that I'm proclaiming? That, that is a, a question that we have fear around. Of what is it that I fear, uh, fear? Who? Who is it that I can or should or would be proclaiming my faith to and how? How do I go about proclaiming my faith? I think those three, uh, three questions are fears that we all have when it comes to our faith. So let's start with the guts of the first one. What am I proclaiming? And there's a place to fill that in, uh, in if you're taking notes there. The first guts, what am I proclaiming? I think we all have this fear. What is it that I'm supposed to say? Now, there are two responses to this, I think. There is the gospel, and what I would say is my gospel. That these are the two responses to the what fear that we have. The gospel and my gospel. The gospel, in three paragraphs, is this. That a good, loving God created the universe and everything in it. That this good God created humanity, including 
some of his very own nature and character within the humanity that he created. But then this humanity, these people, chose and continue to choose to live outside of relationship with this God. And because humanity chose and continues to choose, we experience brokenness both individually and corporately. That there's brokenness in who we are and brokenness in our relationships with each other because we chose and continue to choose to live outside of relationship with this good God. But even though humanity chose to live outside of relationship with this God, God has throughout history pursued humanity and attempt to be in relationship with humanity. First through a people and ultimately through a person being Jesus, God pursued humanity, to reveal himself to humanity. Now, that person, Jesus, is for us the visible image of an invisible God, and it is by a relationship that's made possible through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we're able to move back into relationship with God and restore that relationship with God and with each other, and that ultimately, because of that, all of creation will be redeemed. That's the gospel, in three paragraphs or less. Uh, But there is also my gospel. And it's, it's useful to know the gospel, and we should all know the gospel. But there is power in my gospel. For each of us, your gospel has a particular power to your life and to your story. My gospel is that every day I'm discovering what it means to be a better husband and father, to be more loving, more kind, more patient with my family as God works in and through me. But it doesn't end there. Uh, What I'm also finding is that my soul is being reborn. There are people and things that I care about that I wouldn't otherwise care about. I want to do things for people that put me out of my time and energy and resources. I want to sacrifice myself for other people who could never repay me back in any way, who are as different from me as it's humanly possible to be different from another person. I want to put myself out for them. That's not something that I'm deciding to do in and of myself. Something is being transformed within me. My greatest desire for my children is not their security and comfort. My greatest desire for my kids is that they would know and love God and love their neighbors, neither of which are secure or comfortable things to do. That's not the natural inclination of a parent. But that's what's happening in me. I have a great affection for a book that frustrates me and confuses me every time I pick it up. Why would that be natural? (laughs) The gospel is important. It's essential. 
But what God is doing in your life, your gospel is going to be compelling to people around you. The gospel gives us a historical context and a frame of reference for what God is doing in your life. That's where power is. When it comes to that fear of what is it that I am to proclaim, I believe it comes back to your gospel. All right, there's that fear. Let's talk about the next fear. The guts of this, who am I proclaiming to? And this one feeds off of the next one perfectly. Who is it that I am supposed to take my gospel to? And I think it comes down to this. I'm going to draw a reference between fly casting and bait casting, since we're going with the fishing reference. And let me explain what I mean by that. Fly casting and bait casting. All right. Uh, We'll start with the bait casting. Bait casting. This is a bait casting rod. Uh, It is, I like this one a lot. It gets a lot of use. Uh, A bait casting rod is a pretty heavy-duty set of equipment. This reel and this rod can, can handle pretty heavy lures. In fact, in order for me to make a useful, good cast with a bait casting rod, I have to have a pretty substantial lure on it. It has to have some weight. Uh, if, if I have a good lure with some good wake, I can, I can put this out there. I can. And if you start to fall asleep, I'm also a pretty good aim. So, so stay alert. Uh, but but the, the, the way I make a cast with this one is it's almost like a catapult. You let it out, and it is a quick motion where you're flicking it, and you're using the weight of the lure to carry it out to wherever it's going. You're leveraging it like a catapult, making a quick, swift motion using the weight of the lure itself to make the cast. Now, a fly rod, fly casting, is the opposite art altogether. A fly, you could see this lure, right? Like, everyone can see that monstrosity. A fly, on the other hand, maybe Chris can see this. I don't know if anyone else can see this. This is the opposite. This thing is tiny. This is one that I tied, actually. Uh, it is a, a tiny little piece of steel with feathers and hair and thread and some synthetic material on it. This is tiny. If I tried to cast this, there is nothing substantial enough about this to cast it with a bait casting rod. There is no weight to it. The way you cast a fly is that all the weight is in the line. This, this yellow line is a, is a heavy rubber material that floats, but the way you, you've seen in the movies, you've seen them making the beautiful casts back and forth, and what they're doing is using the weight of the line back and forth to carry the fly out to a place where a fish may, hopefully, bite it. Now, the way this connects, what I would argue about this is that when it comes to our faith, we're to fish like fly fishermen. Because the weight to move people to Jesus comes from our relationship with them. It's not a quick fling to throw people at or toward Jesus. The weight that we have is the connection between us and them, much like a fly rod. The weight that moves the fly is the relationship of the heavy 
line, the weight that you have in moving people and proclaiming your faith to them is the relationship that you have with them. And it is a long and beautiful process, not a quick fling. The weight to move people comes from your relationship with them. I'm going to move these out of the way so I don't end up with one of them in me. That would add an interesting dynamic to the sermon. Uh, so that's, that's what this fear comes back to. Who we proclaim to is about who we have relationship with. Who do we have relationships with that are significant enough that our relationship with them can move them because a relationship with them carries weight? That is, I think, how we should respond to that fear. Who am I to proclaim to? And let's, let's look at this final fear here. We're going to dig into this morning. The guts of this is how am I proclaiming? How am I proclaiming my faith? I think this fear is the one that is really the most practical and elusive for us. I think this morning coming in, it, uh, it, it is no real surprise to you that the what you're to be sharing is the gospel and your gospel. I don't think that that was a great revelation to anyone. It was probably a helpful reminder, but this wasn't new information I'm imagining for many of you. That that is what you're to be sharing. And I don't think that the who you're to be sharing with was any great revelation that, that the people that you're in closest relationship with are the people that God would have you investing the most of yourself in to be proclaiming your faith to them. So I, I acknowledge that I've probably ne- said nothing that was new information yet this morning. That's okay. Maybe I taught you something about fly fishing you didn't know before. <laughs> I'll, I'll take what I can get. Uh, But when it comes to how we're proclaiming, this is where the rubber meets the road for many of us. How do we go about doing this? How do we engage people with our faith? Uh, I think the answer to this lies uh, significantly in defining our outcomes. What is it that we're hoping to do? If your goal is is to have a single conversation with a person that results in them believing in Jesus or saying a prayer, you're going to have a lot of failed conversations. I think in our world, in our culture, in the relationships I have, for me to have a single conversation with a person, believing that I can somehow convince them of the faith that I have, that isn't going to go the direction of them believing what I believe through a single conversation. I think our goal, the how of sharing our faith, comes down to having honest conversations about life and faith with people. I found this quote. It's actually on a website I'm going to reference in a minute. Uh, Brian McLaren, who says a lot of things, I think this is one that's worth paying attention to, says, count conversations, not conversions. Count conversations, not conversions. When we look at what we believe to be successful uh, hows in proclaiming our faith, I believe that having conversations is worth paying attention to. I work with uh, I work with a guy at UPS. He's my supervisor, who's a Muslim. Uh, he's he's a young guy, uh, and we had never had any conversations of substance 
Uh, I'd been working with him since October, I believe. Uh, and no, it was even later than that. I think it was like January we started working together. And, uh, and we hadn't had many significant conversations. Uh, I found out that he was a Muslim and, and, you know, that really didn't change anything. But uh, one day we were talking and this was a while back when there was a big hubbub in the news about South Park. Because in their, I think it was their 200th episode, they depicted Muhammad uh, as part of their cartoon in a bear suit. But it was was controversial because one of the tenets of Islam is that it is forbidden to portray Muhammad in any image. So for them to draw a cartoon where they're depicting Muhammad was offensive to a number of Muslims. And so I asked him, how he felt about it as a Muslim, what, what his thoughts on the whole thing was. And, uh, and it was interesting because that conversation opened up a door to a conversation for each of us to share what we believe and about our faith. And, uh, and it, it's, gone, it's, it's opened up a door where it wasn't just that conversation, but now we have conversations pretty regularly about what each of us believe and why we believe it and how it translates into our lives. Because of South Park. There there is something that we need to recognize, that these conversations matter. That we, we need to embrace, when it comes to the how we share our faith, we need to embrace the idea that everything has the potential to proclaim our faith. Everything has the potential to proclaim our faith. I will add that that proclamation needs to be active and intentional. Being a good parent or a good coworker or a good classmate or a good student, those all have potential to proclaim our faith, but those aren't unique to Christianity. Those aren't unique to our faith. There are lots of people who have no faith, who are good parents or good co-workers or good students. Those things aren't unique to our faith. We should do those things, but there needs to be more to it. We need to be imaginative and creative about embracing the potential that everything has of pointing people toward Jesus. And embrace things even like South Park for what it's worth. Because it was a common thing that could open up a conversation for us. The, the Covenant National Office has put together uh, a pretty good resource. It's called whatsyouronestep.com. Whatsyouronestep.com is, is what it is. And I'd encourage you to go uh, check it out. They have ideas and, and some links and some other stuff on there, some videos of testimonies and different things. And the big idea about this, it, when it comes to the how, is this. Their how is that each of us is to help one person take one step closer to Jesus. Help one person take one step. That that can become our focus, is to help one person just take one step closer to Jesus, that that how can move us out of this paralysis of fear because that's a very tangible thing. Just help one person take one step. I helped my co-worker take one step closer because I opened up 
a door of conversation that wasn't open before. And I'm still walking through that door of conversation on a regular basis, talking to him, sharing with him, opening up his mind to what Christianity is as I understand it, to help him see what the gospel and my gospel is as I understand it. He is a Muslim. His family is Muslim. His, there's a huge connection that he has with his faith that goes through years of tradition and family connection. If I had the idea that I could walk in with my heavy rod and my heavy lure and fling him toward Jesus, that wouldn't happen. It's going to take time of building a relationship and continuing to put motion to the weight of our relationship for him to even consider the possibility that Jesus is who he says he is. And I don't know that I'm going to be the one to see it through to that point. But what I've done is helped him take one step closer by opening this doorway of conversation. Now, let me, let me say this as well as we, we move toward our conclusion here. To proclaim, uh, this idea of proclaiming our faith is not meant to be another stress for your life. You have enough of them. Paul, in each of the letters he writes uh, to, to the different believers in the different places, he begins every one of his letters with a prayer for the people who are receiving that letter that the grace and peace of Jesus Christ be on them. We are inheritors of the grace and peace of Jesus. Sharing our faith is not meant to undermine that grace or that peace. We shouldn't have guilt and worry about sharing our faith. This is not a guilt session trying to convince you that you should share your faith. You need to have grace and peace with it. Let me leave with this, uh, this final piece of the guts of, of fishing. Acts chapter 4. Chris began the series in Acts chapter 4. Uh, and he stopped, I think intentionally, right before this point in the story in Acts chapter 4. So if you want to hear the backstory to this point, uh, you can go back and, and listen. I think it was the first week of this series. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, I'm going to verse 23. So we've already had the sermon on, on the rest of the chapter, but I want to go to Acts 23 and, and, and leave us with this, uh, with this scripture. So I'm going to invite the worship team. We're going to close with a song here in a minute, and they can come as I read this. So Acts chapter 4, 23, there's a section that says this. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. Again, you can go back and listen to Chris's sermons through the podcast uh, with those if you're wondering what that's about. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea, everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. 
They did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, this is where the prayer gets to the heart of the matter. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When faced with a very intimidating fear that their lives were at stake, the first followers of Jesus went to God in prayer and asked for boldness. I think quite simply, this is our prayer as well. When it comes to facing the fears of sharing our faith, I think a lot of it comes down to going to God and asking for boldness. Knowing that God is the God of the universe, that God created everything, and if we know him and trust him, we can believe that he will give us boldness and lead us into circumstances where the weight of our relationships can carry the truth of the gospel in our lives to help people make one step if we ask God for boldness. Let me pray and then we'll close with the song. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, right now I, I on our behalf come to you You are the God who set this universe in motion. You are the God who created us and has placed some of himself within us. God, we pray for your boldness. We ask that you would give us courage in the midst of our fears, that you would give us strength in our weakness to say your words to people who need grace and hope and peace. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak to us as we sing uh, to you, as we worship you for who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives. Amen.